Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. I am very pleased to introduce Michael Ray to you today. For Michael, becoming a dad at the tender age of 49 was a shock in itself. And two years after that, an even bigger shock, that he found himself as the sole parent to his beautiful baby girl, Charlie. Michael speaks about his insights from his personal journey, raising his daughter and the profound impact being a solo dad has had on his outlook. He addresses the gender and societal roles that are no longer applicable and the negative impact on organizational, business and personal outcomes. Michael speaks straight from the heart and his ability to connect, resonate and inspire people is obvious. He has had numerous TV and radio appearances and has been featured on a number of both local and international publications and podcasts. Welcome to the show, Michael. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much for coming. Now, could you tell our listeners where you're calling in from and maybe a type of food or site that if they were to visit your area would be a good thing to either eat or visit? Um, I'm calling in all the way from sunny Australia, Melbourne, so down the, down the bottom end of it. Currently, we're just coming into autumn. Very warm. Uh, our, our sites are, of course, our animals and our unique uh, topography or landscapes. But as far as eat, we're a very multicultural uh, society. So I don't think we've so much got a, a dish, but a meat pie is one of our things at the football. To have a meat pie at the, at the footy, as we call it, is a big thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Italian food. So Pizza or pasta sounds very tasty to me as well. Yes. Could you tell our listeners, Michael, um, a bit more your story? Because I strongly feel that we need many more male role models who publicly share their stories as caregivers. And you have a very unique story. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with you there, Karen. At, at the moment, I'll just give you some quick figures. At the moment, one in five single parent households in Australia are fathers. So whenever I do my talks, I put my hand up and say, is there anything unusual there? And they say, no. Is there anything uncommon there? And say, well, yes, the thumb. It's, there's four other four fingers, but there's only one thumb. But for some reason, single parenting or stay-at-home dads is still seen as unusual or odd. And anything can be further from the truth. For some reason, parenting seems to be the last bastion of contemporary society where we haven't gone, you know what? There's some just ridiculous, outdated gender expectations assigned to it that are serving no one. And 
we have all of these fetishized depictions of motherhood, everything from mother knows best to maternal instinct to only a mother's love. And all of those, they may seem to promote motherhood, but what they actually do is they put huge pressure on women who may be struggling with the normal um, you know, challenges of raising an infant, everything from colic to breastfeeding to sleep deprivation to all the way through to postnatal depression, where a woman not only doubts herself as a mother, but because of these depictions of maternal instinct, can doubt herself as a woman. And us dads, we get away scot-free, but it also makes us dads defer to mum because we doubt ourselves because of this um, promotion of women as the having the secret source for parenting, rather than acknowledging for what it is, sometimes just a bloody hard struggle to try and figure things out and get through things. We go, well, the best thing that we can do as dads is do whatever mum says. So in our effort to be a great partner and a great dad, we defer to mum, which adds more pressure. And we know the mental load is such a big thing. So with us in our enthusiasm and misguided verve to be the best dad going to mum, right, what should I do? What should I do? I explained to dads, you know, why the highest paid positions in companies and organisations is management, because that's where the decisions are made. That's why. So you've got to step up. And of course, there are many, many mums and dads who find great agency in being a mum. So you've got to be careful. You, you can't overstep your mark. It's be a, a collaboration. But you've got to be prepared to go, you know what, I'm going to step into the doubt. I'm not going to be scared of being a beginner. There's not a lot that can go wrong. They're pretty sturdy kids and they benefit from different approaches. But too often it's, you know, oh, I'm scared. I'll step back. So what I'll do is I'll go and work and provide and do all of these extra things to fill my role, which locks mums into that. And right at the beginning, that sets the roles going forward because we get home, we get the baby, we can't settle it. Mum, what should I do? How do I do this? It's not so much that mum has an instinct. It's just mum's had more time in the role. And I know with my mother who raised three kids, two of them turned out good and then there was me. She couldn't, you know, she wasn't as good with my daughter as what I was. And so it just shows that Every kid's got a different temperament, but what would work with Charlie when she was an infant from one month to the next would change as she developed. So, you know, I would say to mum, okay, do this, this helps settle her and things like that. And then a month later, it wouldn't work. I'd have to, oh no, mum, now, you know, this changes. And that's what happens with dads and mums. So we need to not doubt ourselves. And that's why I step forward in the role I'm in is to get dads to go, you know what, dads, it's the best, you know, it's a bit scary and it's, it's a bit terrifying and it's definitely, you know, ex exhausting sometimes, but the rewards when you actually sit back and just relax into it and go, this is all normal. This doubt, this vulnerability, um, everything like that, that we suffer, it's normal. Embrace it because it goes away so quickly. I so agree with everything you say. And I feel sometimes it's advertising that still depicts, you know, a, a male 
caregiver as somebody who I, I'm always making this like, you know, in the rain, forget, you know, forgets the jacket or something. Whereas in my mind, marketing and advertising could do such a positive help in shifting the stereotype by having more, um, you know, men be seen as equal caregivers. And um, yeah, so I feel there is a lot that can be still done there. Yeah, we're, we're often portrayed, we hit barriers and challenges from everything from media to workplaces to um, even mums with a little bit of maternal gatekeeping where they feel that they're going to be judged if they aren't on top of everything and doing everything. And mums, um, we get this intensive mothering because they feel they've been led to believe, misguidedly in my opinion, that they can have it all. They can have the great career and do all, the, you know, mothering and, well, sorry, parenting, and they burn out. And it's the same with dads. We feel like we're in that funny position at the moment where we're straddling the divide, trying to get over. We want to be more involved, and yet we're still expected by other men to, you know, prioritise our status and power and income and all of those silly things that are vapid and go away very quickly when something goes wrong and still get home and care for our kids and be an involved father. Today, dads are more likely to be able to bake a cake than build a billy cart. And it's that it's slowly changing. And the biggest thing I see is older dads who regret not being around now because they were locked into that rigid role. And that's what I say the importance of equality is. It's not to dismiss or diminish others' choices because one in three mums are stay-at-home mums and happy happy to do it. So we don't want to diminish that. We don't want to throw that out with the bathwater. And we all find great um, satisfaction and meaning in our work, or some of us do, but it's about choice. That's what the equality debate is about, choice. And the pay gap is something that diminishes that choice, but we don't, in our rush to assign um, cause, we can't say that, you know, well, men aren't interested in caregiving. Dads are worried if they're seen as not committed as the other men in the workforce to their career, that it will hurt the career, which will in turn hurt the family. So we, we put our heads down and we go, right, this is the best I can do. And in that um, misguided attempt at doing it, um, I, I cite lots of studies that show there's no correlation between income level in families and outcomes for educational, psychological, emotional, behavioural outcomes for kids. So if you were to sacrifice some of your income to prioritise more time with your kids, more involvement, more connection, your children would have a better outcome. So if, if you're under the misguided belief that, you know, I need to provide all of this income for my kids at the expense of the connection, then no, it's not. And the same with mums. Mums need to realise that their kids will do better by some self-efficacy, being, you know, being made to do, be competent and find their own way and not having everything done for them and also having more involvement with a father. So mums need to feel relaxed and confident to be able to step back and go, you know what? I'm going to let all that marketing rubbish go. I'm not going to compare myself to my mum who was a full-time stay-at-home mum who could do everything and, you know, 
have dinner on the table for the family and cakes baked and all of the rest of it because we're comparing ourselves to bygone times where everything was a lot different. So we need to find our own truth and the equality debate is where we get it. I completely agree. Everybody, you know, having a choice and then whatever choice they make feel confident that that's the right decision at the time. And um, now just to take us a little bit of a step back, when I was doing my research about you, um, I read that, you know, you encountered a situation where it still was very much a very different um, understanding of what a mom versus a dad could do. And that was related to the ballet school and the um, recital. Could you share with our listeners? Because honestly, it would have never occurred to me that something like this could happen. But, you know, so it, it made me then realize how much more we need to, you know, raise awareness, basically. Yeah. Karen, it's, that's what actually got me not only started, but opened my eyes to the gender disparity that's holding us all back. Up until then, that's what I say, please don't think I'm some woke, new age, aware bloke. I came from a hyper-masculine uh, world. I, I grew up in a nuclear family where dad worked hard and earned the money, mum ran the household, and it was a beautiful partnership that lasted all their lives. It was fantastic. But um, I separated from my daughter's mother at nine months old at two years old, it became just Charlie and I. So we went off to ballet school a lot again, probably because a little bit of gendered thing while well, little girls do, mm -hmm. do ballet. And um, I've got to admit, there's nothing cuter than a gaggle of little ballerinas all dressed in their gear. So I was often in tears watching it. We had a three-year-old ballet concert. Everything was fine. At the four-year-old ballet concert, they sent out the information. And all the way through the uh, information sheet, it was mothers are expected to ensure the ballet bun is done this way. Mothers need to ensure this shade of lipstick. Mothers need to be available for the full three-hour um, dress rehearsal. There's a special mummy and me ticket offer if you want to bring your other children. And right at the end, and of course, there are no males allowed in the backstage area. So I'm used to substituting... Um, dad for mum reading Dr. Zeus books because, right. you know, dads hardly appear. 160 of the top books in a recent uh, paper that I read, dads were either missing or, you know, playing a minimal or a villainous role. Wow. So I got used to editing on the fly and trying to rhyme with Dr. Zeus, you know, get dad or mum in there. So I was used to it and I just thought nothing of it. It's just, you know, mother was a substitute for parent. So I raised it at the thing and I said, well, I have to be backstage. And they said, well, no, you can't be. And I said, well, I'm Charlie's only parent. You, you know this. I'm the only dad ever here. Thankfully, my mum tribe had my back. They were all, well, we don't have a problem with Michael. And then they said, well, does she have an auntie or a nana? And I said, well, she's got both of those, but I'm her parent. Right. All of this was happening with Charlie next to me. And she was, dad, can't you come to the ballet? Con? I said, no, but relax. I'll be there. So they then said, well, we need to uh, have a meeting. At that stage, Australia was just entering into our marriage equality debate. So we were going to eventually have two mums, two dads, you know, the nuclear fam families are a family despite the makeup. And this is the bastion of the contemporary arts, you know, meant to be liberal 
thinkers and knocked down by conservative uh, values. So I went home and I thought about it and seeing Charlie so upset and doubtful that I could be there, I just thought, you know what, we've got a lifetime of this. I, I need to stand up, not for me. And sadly, it was misinterpreted as a men's right or a father's right uh, stand that I took. And it wasn't. It was just for my daughter not to be made feel different because of our family situation. Right. So I contacted uh, the Equal Opportunity or our anti-discrimination thing. And I said, no, it's against the law. You can't because of your, your gender. It, it went nuts. I, I, one of the mums contacted a friend of hers who was a journalist. And within a day, we we're all over the news, in the papers. And the overwhelming um, majority of people were in support of it. And they just, this is ridiculous and all the rest of it. And then... From there, suddenly all of the other things in society popped up. We don't have change tables in male toilets. So we've actually gone through and retrofitted syringe disposals into all the male toilets. So the inference could be drawn that it's more likely for a male to be a diabetic or a drug user than a father, or that it's mums that are only changing nappies. We've been challenged going into parents' rooms. Um, to change my daughter and all the way through to you know, when my daughter was five or six, she could use the toilet on her own because of my age and my bladder, I would have to go to the toilet a lot. So I couldn't leave her standing outside the male toilets. So we were often challenged, she's old enough to come in here on her own. What are you doing here? And I'm, well, I have to use the toilet, but I can't leave her standing in the hallway outside the male toilets. And, you know, I shouldn't be expected to. So then all of that popped up. Our first point of contact here in Victoria for first-time parents, it's called the Maternal and Child Health Centre. And I've never been made to feel more like a third wheel at these appointments. Yeah. And with as many as one in seven dads suffering postnatal depression or you know perinatal depression, because it's a huge change in life, it's such a huge opp missed opportunity to screen dads, but also... If you've got a less than optimal dad who's not included and not prioritised but treated as an equal, guess who wears the brunt of it? Guess where all the expectations go? On to mum. So we just, you know, all of these little language things matter and they, they matter greatly. You know, I talked with John Adams before and he shared also some of the language that he encountered when he was a stay-at-home dad and and it, it's like, I think it is so important to share this more, to make people aware of it. Because to be honest, I, I was not really aware that so many of the clubs and classes are focused always mommy and me, right? And, and so from a stereotype change of people's perspectives, uh, or, you know, that, that's just so critical to talk about its parents and caregivers. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's very intimidating for a, a big bloke like me yeah. to go, right, well, I, I want my daughter to be around other kids. So at two years old, trying to f find a play group, I was always, I, I don't think we ever found a play group because they were all mums and bubs play groups or mothers and babies play groups. And I was aware that my presence might make some feel comfortable, especially with, you know, the high rate of domestic violence and all of the rest of it. 
And I know a lot of my um, perception was fueled by my insecurity. But that's why I say to people, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, we've forgotten about the largest group. We've been um, not, in, not included in all of the talk about diversity and inclusion. And a lot of dads I talk to feel anxious and threatened because they're not being included in these talks about diversity. So I would go in and, you know, it, it's really opened my eyes as far as minorities going. And it's not just a matter of going, well, we've got a lot of minorities here. That may be diversity, but it's not inclusion until you drag them in. And that's why I say to people, what we think goes without saying a lot of the times actually needs to be said because these people are the ones feeling that they may not be included. Um, they're the ones, even though you go, no, of course, I thought they were just quiet. No, we need to act actively reach out and foster that inclusion. It's not for them to step forward. It's for us, us to drag them in. Right. I, I really appreciate that, Michael. And, um, you know, Josh Lefts, he always talks about that it's for women, they are only able to have equal opportunities at work until men are given equal opportunities doing caregiving. And I can, I mean, I can completely see that because otherwise, if it's always like hammering on women, 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 how can you change the perception of the caregiver model if you don't make you know people aware that there are male role models for whether that is flexible work whether that is doing unpaid care work there is so much in my mind that can still be, you know or needs to be done and isn't being done and i so every time honestly every time i meet a role model like you i'm just so appreciative that you have the courage to step out of you know, the maybe typical, you know, perception of what people think and say, no, this is what it is. And this is how I sometimes suffer because I'm misunderstood or the, the you know, situation with the ballet school. Yeah. yeah I saw. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Karen. One of the, one of the biggest things that I, I encounter that I have problems understanding. And, and as I say to my daughter, Bob, you, you got to understand them if it doesn't matter who it is you've got to realize their beliefs are a result of their experiences their upbringing and you know and they're just as valid as as yours and a lot of times if you seek to understand them even though you mightn't agree with it you right. find in common ground and you go you know what if I was you I would believe that too so it takes away that conflict so asking someone to understand your perspective before you've taking the time to understand theirs, it's just yelling into the void a lot of the times. And as far as the equality and, um, well, the equality debate goes, a lot of it, it, it feels good. And it, there's a lot of finger pointing and criticism, but if it was a brand, their messaging and their communications, it's just not working because we're not advancing at any great rate. And one right. of the biggest things is, I've been told, and I get trolled from both sides. I get abused from men who think I'm not a real real man and that I'm somehow doing this to garner favour or acceptance by women. And the worst one we get from women is you wouldn't understand what it's like to be a mother because we carry them 
we we nurture them, we do these things. And that's why I say to them, I, I understand 100% and agree. I could never understand what it's like to be a mother. And I presume it would be amazing, like such a, an amazing and tiring and just all round unbelievable thing to, to carry that baby and then to bring it into the world. And I could never understand that, but I definitely appreciate it. But yet these same mothers seem to be able to speak with great clarity and confidence as to what the experience of being a father is like. And that's what I'd say to them. And not only, you're not just diminishing my love or downgrading it to some sort of, you know, must be like having a pet. You're actually having a go at same-sex parents who have achieved through surrogacy, even two mums, only one has carried it, step, right. adoptive, foster, right. all of the other parents. And you're also, you know, having a go at their children somehow that, that they haven't received that love. Like, you know, I've, I've seen some people go through such incredible heartache and tribulation, trials and tribulation to become adoptive parents and to have people saying, well, you didn't carry them. You couldn't possibly know what it's like. You know, your love isn't as good. And that's why I say this is something that has actually been used to limit women from the patriarchy, this whole belief that, oh, no, mothers, you know, we just, we just know it. That, to me, it's almost right back to the biblical times of Adam and Eve where she was blamed for, you know, tempting Adam. This is what was instilled. And, you know, it, you're singing hymn 101 from the patriarchal hymn book until you realise, you know what, it's a hard learned skill that takes dedication and commitment to be a parent. Some of us are great parents because of our parents. Some of us are great parents despite our parents, but all of us have taken the commitment to, to do a, a hard job. And, you know, I often hear about the sacrifices we make as parents for our kids. I hate that term. It drives me mad. Sacrifice to me is giving when you give something of great value for something of lesser value. I prefer to call it we trade off as parents. And there is nothing that parenting that I've traded as a before I was a parent to be a parent that I wouldn't trade again and again and again. Like I could be the Warren Buffett of parenting trade-offs. I, I would be a, a billionaire. Every aspect of my life, except for my sleep, has been improved by, by my daughter. So no sacrifice there, but I'm extremely lucky to be blessed with an easy child as well. Now, you know, you were talking about um, one aspect from a stereotypical point of view. And I talked with Rob Sturrock last year, and he was mentioning that there was a huge debate about parental leave in Australia because it was still very much focused more on maternal leave rather than like parental leave as a, a neutral term. And I was wondering... Has something changed in the last half a year in Australia with respect to that? No, sad, sadly, Karen, and Rob is an absolute legend. He's got a brilliant book, if you haven't read it yet, called Man Raises Boy. Yeah, he, he's a great man. Sadly, there's a lot of debate going around. As far as our government policy goes, nothing has really changed. A lot of organisations only 50% currently of the top organisations offer um, 
a shared parental leave. But at the moment in Australia, partner, partner pay, we've, we've got one of the worst ones in the OECD. We're right down the bottom. Yeah. And um, dads are entitled to, or partners are entitled to two weeks at minimum pay, which is $719 before tax a fortnight. And wow. that's, that's where the rock begins. That's where, you know, because mum has to recover from right. the surgery. So, of course, two weeks, can she get back to work? Does she want to get back to work? And we have this ridiculous just primary and secondary caregiver classification. Mm. That, that if we just got rid of that so that we could go, you know, here's the problem I have with it. As a solo parent, I'm considered primary caregiver, whether I'm at work or at home. Mm -hmm. If I was partnered, while I'm, I would be a secondary caregiver unless I was at work. The classification of primary and secondary caregiver, it has the, the potential, it's culturally harmful because it has the potential to damage not only the relationship or diminish at least the relationship between fathers and children, but also between mothers and employers. Right. So th that's where we have the problem. Whereas if we got rid of it and we were just parents and workplaces had to make the same allowance for entitlements to parental leave and split it evenly. I think France has just mandated a one week mandatory um, dad leave or partner leave and they've doubled it to four weeks. Um, that, that would get rid of so much of the assumptions. But once those roles are set, once we're, you know, coming home and second guessing ourselves and, you know, that connection with our kids is vital. And we just, you know, that's why I said seven out of every nine suicides in Australia are men. So, you know, the countries with more gender neutral um, societies have less mental health for men. It improves the outcomes so much more. But, you know, it's just that equality. We should be able to not be assigned to things based on outdated gender expectations where, and it all starts off with that belief that mothers are somehow inherently more gifted or more suited to it, which is as bad as saying men are better suited to leave. That's the flip side of the same. Right. And we know that's just simply not true. Yeah. And, you know, as you are talking about that, so could you maybe share um, what kind of skills you feel you have learned while taking care of Charlie? Because I feel one of the things that is still very much not recognized is that they are transferable business skills that can be learned from caregiving, whether that is looking after a child or an elderly relative. And I, in my mind, that is also often um, if there is a stay-at-home parent and they come back after a long period of absence, that it's perceived it's a career gap or they were on quote-unquote vacation. Instead, there are so many practical skills that were learned. So I, I just love you to just share a few where you say, because I loved your quote, every day is a learning curve as is fatherhood. Yeah, um, Karen, I, I came from... I was an elite level strength and conditioning coach working with professional teams and professional adults. 
the, the parallels I see every day between organizations and families and vice versa, it's, it's striking. I love John Quincy Adams quote about if you inspire people to learn more, do more, be more, you're a leader. Well, that's, you know, you're a parent and parents are leaders. Great leaders don't hoard uh, power. They give it away. They try and get rid of it. And that's what we do as parents. We try and enable our kids to take on more responsibility. We don't want to be in charge. We want them to make their own decisions. Uh, as a parent now, Gee, apart from my dad jokes being the funniest ever, <laughs> uh, I've learned how to multitask, but also how to plan ahead. So uh, as, as a parent, a lot of the times with our children, they're great at focusing on one thing and they get involved and their brains are focused. We know that the transition to something else is where the problem happens. So leaving the pool to go to something else or stopping the play to go, it's then transitional thing. So we plan ahead. So there's a lot of going forward. Lead and lag is another important thing for businesses. What we're dealing with today as parents is the lag. We don't focus enough on the lead. And that's what I say to dads, you know, it's very good to keep one eye on the task at hand, but you've got to keep your vision firmly fixed on the life ahead. So we can get this done now, but it's going to cause problems in the future. Whereas if you start off with a future mind or a growth mindset and go, you know what, I'm going to let her struggle with this. I'm going to let the natural consequences of this happen because eventually I won't do it. Micromanagement is another one that isn't scalable. So while in our hurry to get everything done, we can go, right, do this, do this, do this, but it's not scalable. So as life gets busier, you can't keep up with that micromanagement. So it's all about empowering our children and empowering our employees. It's just, you know, parent, and also parenting has learned, made me learn, it's more about me than my child. Our child's temperament, that whole nature-nurture debate, our child has the nature. We need to nurture ourselves. So it's all about, you know, I do this, she responds like that. Maybe I need to stop doing this. Too often we judge our parenting on our child's behavior. I'd rather judge my parenting on my own behavior. It's how I behave. And, you know, I say to dads a lot of the times, if you find your kids pushing your buttons and testing your limits, I pretty much guarantee it's got more to do with your buttons and your limits than your child's behavior. Bad day at work, tired, all the rest of it. Suddenly, you know, your kids, you know, this evil gremlin sent, sent from hell to, to just hit every raw nerve. It's not your child. It's you. You're the one who's old enough and experienced enough to be able to respond in kind. And that's how we need to treat our employees and our co-workers and all the rest of it. We need to look for what's driving their behavior rather than just simply responding to the behavior. Now, as we are talking about work, one of my big advocacy topics is flexible work. Now, have you encountered a lot of flexible work when you know you talk to organizations and, and people all around and um, in particular like job sharing which I strongly feel could really help to you know equalize the opportunities one of the one of the things that happens or has happened with the equality um, debate is 
a lot of the initiatives and programs were created in a time when dads were either seen as unable or uninterested to raise the next generation or both. So I actually think a lot of them have reinforced the outdated gender status quo of mums doing the majority of caring, except they've allowed them to increase their responsibilities outside of the home. So added more pressure, but we've treated the symptom rather than the cause of men not being able to, there wasn't a concurrent thing to get men into the home. So we've actually made it worse because um, Dr. Laura Ratcliffe does some brilliant studies around um, this, where it shows that if women have access to all of these initiatives and programs, they still end up doing the majority of the caring because of course they're enabled. But when we have cultures in workplaces, men, you know, getting teased about, oh, you're off on holiday with your maternity leave and, you know, don't let your wife wear the pants and all of these microaggressions that happen to men that don't get called out. And they're the same as not on, I'm not drawing a false equivalency, but they need to be called out just like we do with sexual harassment and anything else that's made somebody's choices to be made less less uh, authentic. Right. So with the flexible working, the problem we have here is a lot of these things have skipped over the male-dominated industries. Mm-hmm. So here in Australia, construction, transport, manufacturing, at some of the least family-friendly places, they're also the most male, heavily male-dominated. Yeah. So a lot of them don't lend themselves to the flexible working until we think outside of the box. And if the government wanted to incentivize it and say, you know what, we're somehow going to make some tax break or allowance if you can have a certain percentage of your workforce, job share, flexible, things like that. And if we put quotas on men, because we've got quotas on women coming up into management, we need quotas on men stepping into caring so that they can go, great, you've got 30% of your workforce now job sharing and they're blokes here's a payroll tax deduction, here's an incentive, and then we need to promote those. I did a talk with a national company in in panel beating, and we actually got job sharing, not so much individual job sharing, but we had one shift come in from six till two, so they could do the afternoon stuff at home. And we had another one that came in from nine till six. So the spray painters would come in late, the body preparation guys would come in early. It meant the customers could drop their cars off a lot longer than what they would when they're all coming in at eight o'clock in the morning and finishing at four o'clock in the afternoon. And they loved it. And their employment engagement scores went through the roof and they swap it around now. They do one month of this. So now we've got these men, one month they're doing the school drop off in the morning, the other one they're doing the pickup in the afternoon and they love it. And that's why I say, you know, constraints of, you know, the environment that innovation thrives in. And for too long, we've just gone, that's the way it is. Let's not examine it. We've slept walked into a system that simply doesn't support optimal parenting. And our children are paying the price for it. And then our society is paying the price for it with our children suffering anxiety and bullying and all of these things that can come from, you know, not a great secure attachment, but we're all doing our best as parents. Well, thank you for sharing this awesome example. Now, I have to ask you, you talk about leave loud and leave proud. Can you share what that, what do you mean by that? 
Um, too many dads. It was a a uh, paper I read where it said that the majority of dads surveyed admitted to sneaking off when they had to attend to family or caring responsibilities rather than ad admit it and sneak back in. So leaving the jacket on the back of the chair, disappearing for an hour while they had to do the school run and drop back off at after school care for the children. And that's why I say to dads, you know, don't do it. Leave loud and leave proud because it matters. And the frightening thing is a lot of the upper level and the middle level management guys do it because they don't want to be seen again as less committed to the careers or having something that may hinder their focus on the careers. So they sneak out, sneak back. And that's what I say to them. You know what? Simon Sinek's why? Our careers, our children aren't an interruption to our careers. The reason our careers are so important is because of our children to be able to provide for them why we need security, but why we need to be assisted in fostering a great family life. So dad, stop doing it. Put your hand up, you know, for too long. So I'd say it's, it's easier now, sorry, who was it? Pope John Paul said, it's easier for fathers to have children than it is for children to have fathers. And it just shouldn't be like that. I, I'm so appreciative you can be here and you know, share your experience. Um, now I'm super excited you have an upcoming book that's called Who Knew? And it's coming soon. So you, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about why you decided to write the book and also maybe some little teasers of what it entails? Um, yeah, the, uh, the thought of me reading a book when I haven't read that many, writing a book when I haven't read that many was a bit of a shock, but it's basically just a walkthrough of how I got to where I am, some of the experiences and some of the realizations with a few studies along the way, but it's mainly about showing dads and mums about just that reframing of masculinity. You know, we dads, we are providers and we are disciplinarians, but to discipline means to teach. The true meaning of discipline is teaching. So we teach our children. Providing we provide safety and connection and moral guidance and the example for our children. We can't do it if we're not there. We just need to reframe it. We guys are very good at following rules. What it means to be a man and step outside of that. Oh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to admit that I'm vulnerable or I'm struggling or stuff like that. And that's why I say, Karen, you know, put your hand up and be brave enough to show me that you're struggling. And I think it's the most courageous thing you can do as a man to, to throw off that judgment and to go, you know what, I don't care. To me, uh, a stigma or a stereotype, if your values, if your behaviour isn't grounded in your values and character and what's right for your family and is instead focused on what's stereotypical or expected, you don't have a problem with your masculinity. You've got a problem with your internal sat-nav. You know, it's just your character that matters. So the book's a lot of things around that. It's a lot of the, you know, <laughs> mistakes I've, I've made as a dad and a lot of the realisations. And that's why I'd say it's who knew if, you know, I, I had my daughter at 49 years old and, uh, you know, just no one would have seen me in this role back in my youth. So now, Michael, is there anything that we haven't addressed or talked about in our conversation today that you would like to leave with our listeners? No, I think we've, we've got it all. 
Oh, Karen, apart from I'm a really nice man, do we say that? Uh, <laughs> and, and look out for the book, who knew? That sounds great. And I will be sure, like, is there is there already like a pre-order link or is there, you know, on your, that actually is my next question. How can people connect with you and find out more about you? Um, I've got a website, michaelray.com.au. Uh, the pre-orders for the book, I think, open on April the 6th. So there'll be a, a link up on there. And of course, I'll, I'll be all over LinkedIn and uh, I have a, a, a good media presence here in Australia with a few television and radio appearances. But uh, yeah, I don't think you'll find it hard, hard to uh, get the book. Charlie and I need the money. Okay. All right. Well, I really look forward to reading your book and it's been such a pleasure, Michael, to have you on the show and have, you know, listen to all your insights and your experiences. So thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much, Karen. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.